0: Welcome to Episode 2 of Bedtime Stories for grown a podcast that is meant to be your guide into dreamland. Hopefully, you'll never hear the end of it. Once upon a time, if you were lucky, someone told you bedtime stories. Maybe someone read you books, or the same favorite book over and over. Or maybe someone made up your bedtime stories, telling you nonsensical things until you closed your eyes and drifted into sleep. These bedtime stories are the whimsical, made-up kind. Little snippets from dreamland to guide you there. There is no plot to follow. No sense to make of anything. Just a sequence of images from beyond the consciousness of day to help you drift, let go, and fall blissfully into sleep. This is like a Jane Eyre story as interpreted by a Masterpiece Theatre Ensemble. It is a family dinner party in a large old mansion out in the English countryside sometime in the past 200 years. I don't know where exactly. I've never been there. One of the brothers is very intense. He reminds me of Oliver Reed. He is intimidating and foul-tempered, but nevertheless, when he puts his hands on my shoulders and whispers in my ear, I can't help but acquiesce to his powers of seduction. He is passionate in all things, which also makes him rather difficult. But nothing happens, because he and a number of the other family members pass out drunk wherever they happen to be. The women are not as friendly as the men, I think they are very unhappy. Someone is spreading out old children's drawings on large newsprint sheets, I say this is exactly what Oliver was talking about. And they roll their eyes, because Oliver has heard me and shaken off his drunkenness to haul himself up and come and look at the children's drawings. The rest of the family seems to prefer it when he is passed out drunk. He gets into a heated exchange with his father. None of them can live up to the accomplishments of their father, who has in fact written and published several best-selling novels. There is another brother who wears a bear suit. He's quite sweet, actually, and follows me around. The brothers offer to take me to town, to buy some things so I can stay a little longer. But I think I should probably get going on the following day. The father pulls a train car out of the garage, so I can put my things in there. And when the time comes, they will just take it to town and attach it to the main train. They always keep a few spare train cars in their garage. Now we are in a lineup. The woman in front of us has a sign. It says, I am Esther and I have taken a vow of silence. She smiles at us. I think we have met before. She starts whispering about how glad she is to see us and have we been to her church. There is a new pastor. We are embarrassed that she is breaking her vow of silence so easily. We are trying to get away, but now the service has started. We have to practically crawl over the congregation to get out. They are all sitting cross-legged on the floor, on little cushions in small rooms, and there is someone posted outside each room to draw the curtain. We finally make it out. But then we can't figure out how to get out of the parking lot. It's like an Escher drawing, only with piles of construction rubble everywhere. You can pretend you want to join the Christians, and you will be served right away. These Christians have different rituals. They give you some jewelry and tell you to wait for God. And they tell you that after you have seen God, you must take one ring off the necklace and throw it into the water. Throw a ring from the necklace into the water every time you see God. We're starting to feel a little alarmed. This is serious. But then this older woman in the waiting room says, Have you seen Jesus yet? Don't worry, he's coming. And they have this very seductive, jazzy kind of come hither Jesus dance that is very alluring to a lot of people. It is also somehow reassuring. There was a beautiful and unique island off the west coast of North America. It was not so unique, evolutionarily speaking, as the Galapagos. But still, it had a very diverse and rich ecosystem. It was called Gulang or something like that. We didn't realize it was so close. We had a professor come and visit from that island He was a marine biologist. He said that we had made such a mess of things that the ocean had less than 30 years of life left in her. He was really distraught. He was taken aback when we asked what we could do to help. What can we do? How can we help? We are looking after someone else's children. We are telling them stories, and a whole host of wonderful creatures comes out of the woods to hear the stories. A beautiful black bird lands nearby and trills. It is the size of a giant peacock, and it is all black, but the ornate tail feathers and colorful headdresses are fantastic. When it stops singing, it turns into a much plainer looking bird again. We are so thrilled to have seen this. It is amazing. And then another creature, kind of like a feathered dragon, puts its giant head on my lap to listen to the story. It reminds us of that sweet creature from the never-ending story. But then all of a sudden, we are at war. And the army is charging. We have to dress and find our swords and daggers. But we cannot find anything. They are coming upon us too quickly. We are absolutely frantic now. But then we see the train coming. And we know what is going to happen. The train is going to derail. And stop them in their tracks. And it does. The train smashes through them like the tail of a giant metal dragon. Bodies are flying everywhere. They've been defeated this time, but they will be back. We see someone carting off a dismembered leg, and we are disturbed. In the end, we did see the season finale, and it was a bit of a disappointment. The season reveal was that the mother of the main character was introduced, and she was a tough-talking cocktail waitress with a mean streak, played by Joanna Lumley. That was the season finale. Big deal. We feel sheepish, because we kind of wasted all that time when we could have been making up stories to tell to the fantastical creatures from the woods. I am monitoring a band coming through town, but no one seems to be able to see them except me. I have to go into Windows 5 frequency and disappear, essentially. What is the point of their tour if no one can see them? Who programmed this thing? I might as well not even be here. These matchmen. Why did they have to be in Windows 5? I had to keep logging out and logging in to different dimensions. No one could follow on Windows 7. Because of the programming, no one was operating on Windows 5 anymore, I was alone there now with the Matchmen promo material that no one could see, and I was gone from the other dimensions entirely. We had received a severed head in a paper bag that was supposed to be used for some purpose. Maybe just to give us guidance, or something. I didn't like carrying it around, so I set it down in a corner. There were some tears in the bag. They were going to give us the helmet to look after with all the notes and instructions in it. But I said, wait, we're not ready for that yet and some fool had stolen the bait car. What an idiot. They are watching his every move now. We were walking in the old neighborhood and we saw a man with a two by four come running after another man. Oh my God bashed him twice in the head. We had witnessed this, and he had seen us, so now he was coming after us. We want nothing to do with that guy. It turns out he is this wanted bad guy, the evil baby that was on the front page of the newspaper. A baby with bulging eyes and little sharp teeth. He can change into a grown thug in a flash. Somehow I'm holding the evil baby and trying to hold him down for the police so that he can't change into a thug and hit me with a two by four. He's biting my hands, my palms. I don't know how much longer I can hold him. Somehow he gets away and I'm afraid he will come back for revenge. I make a police report. My palms have little chew marks from the evil baby teeth. But other than that, I'm okay. We were walking over the bridge, and there were all these strange characters. Some were even quite frightening. And then we remembered. This was the Fringe Festival. They were holding it on the bridge this year. Apparently they did that last year and it was a huge success. We decide to walk up one side and down the other. We won't be able to see everything. There are people dressed like zombies on the other side of the bridge. We will go back that way. There are lots of rooms on the bridge. And that is surprising. There are rooms where the actors are practically having an orgy. And there are rooms where naked actors with huge testicles attached to them are spouting nonsense. But it is agonizing nonsense. Some are below in the water taking advantage of the setting and you have to try to figure out what's going on. There's a woman's face, slightly underwater and then a man comes up underneath her and pulls her down over and over again. The actors must be getting quite chilled. A Stellar's jay hits the window and staggers backwards, shaking its head. It is stunned. I go to help, but can't resist stroking the feathers. This jay is the size of a peacock. It has a searing headache and needs some protected time now to recover, and then it will be able to fly again. So we are guarding it now, while it rests. Walking in the surf at the shore, we are being followed by a seal that has a huge tumor on its head. One hideously big bulging eye, and one normal sweet seal eye. It wants help from us, but we're not sure what we can do. And then we spot a whale in the shallow water. It's also damaged in some way coming for help. How can we help? Will there be many more? Is this some sort of fallout from Fukushima? There is a couple walking around in circles. Is it a house they are walking around? It is because they have died, but they have not let go and moved on. That's what happens if you don't let go. You end up walking around in circles. The Aurora Project is making all these things possible. It is a big handcrafted box of indeterminate shape, although it kind of reminds us of a coffin. It's much bigger and multi-sided. It's bringing light and love to the world. The people are giddy with happiness, making love everywhere and not upset when caught in the act in the woods. It is rutting season. Dragons. Six in a row. In a den. It is going to be a smash hit. Are you sure? How can you predict with the economy the way it is? Maybe we should start with one. One dragon. Look at these animals. What a strange and beautiful deer. Almost like a drawing. Or origami. These must be Japanese animals. The kids are saying, we don't have time to watch the animals now. But we are mesmerized by the bear patting and hugging and nuzzling the horse. What a beautiful thing. Something about the poets. What are the poets doing? In the woods, a lost boy is searching for his adoptive parents. He is hard to find because he is always moving. And if anyone gets too close, he runs like the wind and everything becomes a blur.